This just in, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. CNN Center right now is just beginning. doing their job. I survived because they were there. All of us um, have those kind of moments in life, and they're few and far between for most of us, but they're those moments that are so gripping and so significant and so profound and so impacting that you literally will never forget where you were at when things like 9-11 happened, right? You guys remember? I, I remember what I was wearing. It was 15 years ago. I remember what I was wearing. I remember uh, who I was sitting. I was in a meeting with some interns that I was interning with, and we were sitting in, in a circle. And I remember who was on my right, and I remember who was on my left. And I remember when the senior pastor came in and broke up our meeting and told us that one of the World Trade Center towers had just been hit by a plane and they don't think it was an accident. And I remember when they wheeled in the TV and we all sat there for hours watching the live broadcast and watching the second plane fly into the second building. I mean, it, it literally feels like it was yesterday and, and we, we, we all know those moments, right? And this weekend is such a special weekend for our nation and therefore it's a special weekend for our church, right? This is the 15th anniversary of the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Centers and 9-11, as all of you guys know. And every year I get more appreciative of one specific thing. There's this fraternity of men and this fraternity of women that when thousands and thousands and thousands of people were running away from the, the mess, as they should have, there were people who had signed up long before that to, to run right into the mess, right? To put their lives on the line. We lovingly call them first responders. And so before we do anything else this weekend at all of our campuses, I want to do this. I want to give honor where it is due. So at all of our campuses, if you are a first responder of any kind, if you're a police officer, if you're a fireman, if you're a part of the National Guard, if you're a, an EMT uh, worker, would you please stand right now? And if I forgot any type of first responder, would you please stand? If you've done it formally, would you please stand? We want to honor you. Please stand right now at all of our campuses. Thank you, guys. Come on, we can do better than that. Yes. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, at all campuses. Thank you. I also want to do this. This is equally important. When we have first responders, there's another person that usually gets forgotten, but they bear a great burden as well, and it's the spouses of first responders. So at all of our campuses right now, if you're a spouse, if you're someone that in the past or is currently kissing your husband or wife goodbye, knowing that they might not come home from work, would you stand up right now? We want to honor you as well. At all of our campuses, stand up. 
Yes, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's keep going, come on, they deserve it. So grateful. This is uh, too special of a weekend to just pass this issue by of 9-11, and so in honor of it, I'm going to do a message uh, this weekend that I've titled First Responders. And so if you have your Bibles, go with me to uh, Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 25 through 37. If you don't at any of our campuses have your Bibles, don't worry. The, the passages of Scripture will come up on the screens for you to read along with. This passage in Luke chapter 10 is what I would call an ode from Jesus to first responders. This is the quintessential first responder story that we get in the Bible. It's famously known, and all of you, whether you've been in church or not, you've heard of it. It's famously known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so Jesus has just been teaching a crowd, and he's just had a big, exciting powwow with his disciples prior to where we're going to pick up. And now Jesus is in a group, and one particular lawyer, a Jewish lawyer, who litigates Jewish law and the Mosaic law, he, he has a conversation with Jesus, and it goes like this. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, Rabbi, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? I love it. That's Jesus going, You're the lawyer. <laughs> you tell me, right? And when he's testing him, if you do a quick study in the Greek, what that word meant, test, he's not doing what we see in other parts of Scripture, especially with Pharisees and Sadducees. He's not trying to test him to get him crucified or put on trial. He's literally just trying to see if this new rabbi that everyone's wanting to follow and everyone's wanting to be around and all the crowds seem to be flocking to, he's wanting to see if he's orthodox in his rendition and understanding of the law because it's this guy's specialty, right? This is what he does. He litigates Jewish law. And Jesus says, well, what is written in it? How do you read it? He does the Socratic method, right? You ask, answer a question with a question, and I love it. It's the Socratic method, and the guy using it is the guy that spoke Socrates into existence. But we're moving on because that doesn't matter. <laughs> and the Jewish lawyer answers this way. He, he quotes a, a classic fundamental tenet of law, the foundational law from the book of Deuteronomy. He quotes it. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength, and all your soul and all your mind. And then he goes to the, the book of Leviticus in the Torah and he, he, he quotes the second greatest law. He says, and then you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answered him and said, hey, great answer. You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And I picture Jesus purposely getting ready to walk away, knowing that wasn't gonna be the end of the conversation. And the Jewish lawyer going, yeah, 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 real, real quick, one more quick, one, one more quick question. One more quick question. He says this, Desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And I love that. And, and the, the first several times I read that, my, my first instinct when I read desiring to justify himself, he says, who is my neighbor? I had a little bit of righteous indignation, a little bit of self-righteousness, because I know what he's doing here. He's going, you know, I can't love my neighbor as myself unless I trust him. And unless they look and act and think like me, you know I can't love my neighbors myself if just anyone's my neighbor because there's a whole bunch of people that I don't even like. There's a whole bunch of people that I'm hostile to. In this ancient Jewish community, there were people down the road that they were like completely at odds against, at war against, right? That's still happening in the Middle East these days. So he's going like, like hey, 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 surely there's some nuance. It can't be as broad as, like, what's my neighbor, right? And he's trying to justify himself. He's trying to make the law convenient. 
right? And and before we all get tempted, and myself included, to be self-righteous with this guy and to laugh at this guy, can we understand that this is every single one of us to some degree? This is something we will fight for the rest of our lives. Every single one of us, if you really read the word of God, you're going to constantly come across things in the word of God that completely butt heads with your status quo. You're going to continually come across things in the word of God that are completely at odds with how you think life should be and how God should do things. And you're going to have an opportunity in that moment to do what this lawyer's doing, to justify yourself, to find people that you put in your circles to tell you what you want to hear. That's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to make sure that Jesus sees this law of loving your neighbors yourself as exclusively as he does. He's in a fraternity of, of people that's very exclusive as a Jewish lawyer. He, he would hang around priests, Levites, Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, and, 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 and that's it, and, and his family. And to him, in their mind, and with all the amendments they they had put into the Torah, that was who their neighbor was, nobody else. And what Jesus is about to do is what I call a mic drop moment. He's about to tell a story, a story that he makes up to get this lawyer to answer the question himself, who's his neighbor? This is the brilliance of Jesus, because Jesus could have just told him who his neighbor was and walked away with one sentence, but Jesus knows that our hearts don't always do real well with just black and white commands that we need to work our salvation out, right? And so he gives them a story and puts him in the position to answer the question himself. And here's how the story goes. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, about a 17-mile journey, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So he's naked and half dead. Some of your, some of your translations will say naked and unconscious, okay? He, he has no clothes on and he's unable to speak and that's gonna matter and we're gonna come back to that in a minute. It goes on to say, now by chance, a priest, enter the first person in the story. This would have been one of the guys in this Jewish lawyer's fraternity, his country club, if you will, okay? They work together, they dress the same, they think the same, their ideology is the same, their politics are the same, their socioeconomic status is the same. This is the first guy that enters the picture. So surely he's gonna be the hero because there's no one greater in the kingdom of Jerusalem in the kingdom of Israel than the high priest, right? The, what, what athletes and actors and musicians are to us, the, the celebrities and the famous people, that's what the priests were in Jerusalem. They were at the top of the food chain in really all areas, okay? And, and here's what happens. The priest was going down that road, and when he saw the guy that was beaten and bloody and marred in the carnage of, uh, of this, what the robbers had done to him, what's he do? He passes by on the other side. So instantly, this Jewish lawyer is going, the priest? My guy? My man? My neighbor? And then Jesus says this, likewise, and he's going to go to another person in his fraternity, Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. And and Jesus isn't picking on priests and Levites because he's got something personally against them. Jesus would have used different characters for a different person that was having this same conversation. He'd use different characters with us. He would put people in this story that don't pass the compassion and mercy test that we're comfortable with to show us, to to absolutely destroy our idea of what a neighbor is. And, And that's the whole purpose of this story. And so those two people, actually, when they see them, they pass by on the other side, and now it's about to get froggy. Now we're about to have a plot twist in the story because all good stories always have a plot twist, right? And here it is. He says, but a Samaritan, dun, 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 right? 
These are the arch enemies. If, you, if you've never been to church, just understand this. The way the Jews and the Palestinians are currently at odds with each other and extremely geographically close, this was what was happening 2,000 years ago with the Jews and the Samaritans. The, the racial hostility, the national hostility had been going on at this point when, we, when Jesus is telling this story. It had been going on for centuries, and it was deep. And there was such hatred and hostility. And here's what Jesus is going to purposely do to make his point. He's going to make the Samaritan the hero of the story. He's going to make this Jewish lawyer's arch enemy the hero of the story. And he does it on purpose because he's trying to shatter the idea of what they had came up with for what their neighbor was legally supposed to be. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, I love this. He had compassion on them. That's what first responders do. They bypass their safety. They bypass convenience. They bypass comfort. And they go right into places that other people won't go to. And can I tell you something, Red Rocks Church? If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, if you have received this free gift of God's grace, his unmerited, undeserved favor over your life, if you have been saved by God's grace, and it is a gift, it is not by anything you've done so that you and I cannot boast, if that is you, listen to me, here is what we are called to in the kingdom of God. We are called to sign up to be first responders. Salvation is God's gift to us, and the beautiful gift of worship that we give back to God is to now offer, offer, offer our bodies as what? Living sacrifices, holy and pleasing, set apart to do him. We offer, we put ourselves in danger. We, we don't look at convenience first. We don't look at comfort first. That's what the priest and the Levite were doing. It was completely inconvenient for them to go and help that guy. They could become ceremonially unclean. There's a good chance that guy, and they wouldn't know because he was what? He was naked and he was unconscious. They couldn't see what he was wearing to tell what tribe he's from or, or what type of job he had. They couldn't talk to him to hear dialect. And, and you know why Jesus isn't just giving us a random detail? Oh, he was, he, he was robbed and he was naked and he was unconscious. Do you know why Jesus is telling us that? Because he's trying to say, hey, there's going to be all kinds of people in life that you're going to run into and all hell's breaking loose in their life. And whether it's self-inflicted or outsourced, there is carnage. And I'm asking you to run to them and help them. And you don't need to care about what they're wearing and what they look like and what they smell like and what they believe. And if they agree with you on things in life, you don't need to know where they came from, what side of the tracks. Because comfort's not an issue when it comes to compassion. Listen, on the front end of compassion, you're never going to be comfortable. It's never going to be convenient to be compassionate on the front end, right? To be merciful to people. It's never even going to be safe some of the time. It wasn't safe for this priest and this Levite because that road, that 17-mile stretch from Jericho to Jerusalem was notorious for robbing people, people getting robbed. And a lot of times they said historically people would get robbed and then the robbers would use the people that were hurt as actual bait for more people to come and help. And then they would do the same to them. This priest and this Levite, man, they, they were men of God who had to go and do the temple building, the bidding for people. They didn't have time to stop and just help one when there's 99 waiting on them at the temple. And this, this Samaritan, he does. He had compassion on him. That's what first responders do. And that's what we're called to, Red Rocks Church. It goes on to say, he went to him, listen to this, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, his own resource, 
Compassion and mercy will always call from us our own resource, okay? Then he set him on his own animal, his animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which is worth about two days' wages, so do that own math for you and your world, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and I love this, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. First responders in the kingdom of God are put it on my tab type people. And I don't know about you, but I want to be one of those type people. See, when we did this birthright series, do you remember one of the things we read over and over and over was this fact that God wants to lavish his grace on you as his children? And the minute you were born again, you became trust fund children, right? Remember we read over and over that all of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms are yours? Well, do you know what the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm, do you know what the kingdom currency is? It's not cash. Do you know what it is? It's mercy, Mercy is kingdom currency. Compassion is kingdom cash. And when God wanted to lavish his mercy on you and me, do you know what he then, as has us trust fund kids, asked us to do? Do the same thing you see your father doing for other people. I don't want you to just dispense mercy. I want you to lavish it on people. I want your mercy for people that don't look like you and think like you and act like you and believe like you. I want your mercy to almost be offensive to other people. I want people to question your sanity in how you show certain people mercy. Republicans, I want you to show mercy to Democrats that, are, that, 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 that non-kingdom Republicans are, are like mad at you for. Democrats, I want you to show mercy for Republicans that people that don't have the gospel gift and the, and the birthright that you have, I want them to be like, what, are you changing? Are you, dude, are you breaking up the party here? Like, what's your problem? You crossing that aisle? <gasps> right? I want, us, I want us as Christians to be the most radically mercy-dispensing people to Muslims on the planet Earth. Right? Now, now it's getting real. I want us to be the most merciful people to people going through transgender issues and homosexual issues and bisexual issues and all the issues that we're going through with our, our sexual identity nowadays, I want us to be the most gracious dispensers of mercy on planet Earth. And let me remind you from our birthright series, that's the reason we did it, that the, the, the security in your identity in Christ is the fuel that allows you to be so radical with mercy when it costs you something, your reputation's on the line, when it's not convenient and when it's not comfortable and when it's not expedient to the people in your circles like it wouldn't have been to this Jewish lawyer. And Jesus says, you love people anyways, at your expense, at your cost, offer your bodies to other people, even your enemies. Remember we did the a Sermon on the Mount talk last week with Eric? And one of the verses he didn't read was where Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Talk, talk about broadening our borders of who we minister to and who we reach out to and who we're first responders to. That's what we do. We love our enemies, Red Rocks. If not us, who? If not the church, who's going to set the standard for that on planet Earth? Who's going to send this earth a message if we can't be the people that cross the aisles of ideology and cross the aisles of politics and cross the aisles of, of our belief systems and, and we don't sell out on what we believe to be truth? But listen, you don't have to sell out on the truth while at the same time being extremely and deeply merciful to people that don't look like you and think like you and act like you. Don't buy into a lie that those two things are mutually exclusive because that is a lie from the pit of hell that you either have to be team mercy or team truth, but you don't get to be both. That's not how it works. Both of them are to dance beautifully together, right? Mercy and truth. 
So he said, take care of them. And whatever more expense it costs to take care of them, put it on my tab. Jesus goes on to look at the lawyer and say, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the Jewish lawyer said, and I picture him saying it like this. I don't know that he did, but I picture him going, the one who showed mercy. <laughs> Jesus like, I'm, I'm sorry, which one? The, the, the Levite? <laughs> the priest or the Samaritan? Which one? The one who showed mercy. <laughs> yeah, but which one is he? <laughs> mercy, mercy. The one who showed, right? He can't even say Samaritan. And I bet, and, and this is a rhetorical question, and, and again, rhetorical if you went to public school means don't yell to me. Just answer it in your own mind, okay? <laughs> Took me a long time to figure that out. <laughs> I bet if you thought long enough and were honest enough and, and self-aware enough today, you could think of maybe some faces and some names of individuals in your world that it's really hard to say their name. Or better yet, some people groups where every time the word comes out of your mouth, it's, there, it just takes so much energy. It's exhausting because there's so much baggage behind, you know, like, Democrat, oh, right? Like, oh, I'm not going to admit, right? Like, like m- m- Muslim, oh, all the, all the baggage that we have and all the history and all the animosity and turmoil, Right? And, 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 and if you really, really, come on, I'm just asking you guys, I'm doing the same myself, I'm taking hard inventory this week. If we're really honest, we all have those people in our world that, that we really want to cross to the other side of the road when they're in trouble and just get real quiet. Like, now, we're Christian enough to not blatantly go like, I am walking away from your mess purposefully. No, we don't do that. <laughs> we just like the lawyer to justify ourselves. we try and come up with law and nuance to the law's. And amendments to God's laws to go, well, that's not my neighbor. Surely I can't pray for the people that actually flew into the buildings and caused America such tragedy and distress. And Jesus goes, no, you can. That's that's how radical my grace and mercy was for you. And that's how radical I want you to dispense it to others. And you don't have to lose truth while dispensing mercy. And so there's just three quick things that I want to extract from this story if you want to be a first responder. And I don't know about you, but I do. And I don't know about you, but that is not the natural instinct of Chad Brugman's heart. I wish it was. I wish I could stand up and say, follow me as I follow Christ. I wish I could stand up here with honesty and integrity and go, I'm always the first guy to run into people's messes without thinking about convenience or comfort or danger. And I'm just a radical dispenser of mercy. I would love to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And listen to me, I have a deep conviction about what I'm talking about, but I am an absolute work in progress. But I want to go to my deathbed with my children and my children's children knowing that their father and that their grandfather loved people so radically it almost got him in trouble sometimes with the people that were supposed to love him most. Like at some point, I want my mercy to be so radical, Red Rocks Church, that I get misunderstood by the people that are supposed to most have my back. You guys. I want to take on the cases of people that we sometimes assume we're supposed to be against I want, I want to be so in their world and such a, a first responder to anything they may go through to show them the radical mercy that God showed me that, 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 that I get hated on even by some of the people that should be backing what I'm doing, right? And, and I think you should want the same thing. 
So here's the mark of a first responder. Here's what we know from this story about first responders. First thing is this. First responders, they just treat everyone that's hurting, period. No balancing statements. Think of EMTs. Uh, Okay, picture this. Picture a guy on a motorcycle on C-470, and this really happened recently. So uh, he was, um, he's going 90 miles an hour, and he's texting, okay? I I literally saw this a while back. Luckily, what happens next in my made-up story didn't happen, praise God. But but let's just say a, a car has to hit on their brakes for some reason, and he's texting. He's going 90. He hits the back of that car, and he flies maybe 50 to 100 yards and into a ditch, and he's literally hanging on for life. Think if the EMT shows up to the scene and before they do anything to help the situation, they start to have them fill out an application and they start to ask what nationality is and what political party he's from and how fast was he going? Did, oh, well, you were going 90. Clearly that was your fault. I don't think we're going to help you in this case because you need to learn from your mistakes. I don't think we're going to give you the treatment that you need right now. Meanwhile, the guy's just in the ditch going, ah, please help. Like, like, right, I'm dying. Sorry, that was weird. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Right? Like, like, it's absurd when you think of it in those terms, that they would, they would make you fill out an application or they would, there would be a vetting process to see if they could maybe give you a little, little morphine love or something, right? Like a little help for the pain, Right? a little something to stabilize you so they can get you to some, some more permanent treatment. That, that's ludicrous. No, no first responder signs up to do that. Nobody that ran into the, to the carnage of 9-11 while they were pulling people out and trying to save their lives was asking them what God they bow a knee to or, or how they identify sexually or what's their religious persuasion or background or right? No, they didn't do that. You don't even think about that. You just see hurting people and you run when so many other people are running away because they're scared. That's what first responders do. We're great agents of mercy and first responders, they treat everyone that's hurting. Here's the rule about neighbors. Here's what this story teaches us about who your neighbor is. Jesus was trying to let the guy figure it out himself. And I want our church to always be very clear about who our neighbor is, okay? Anyone with a pulse. That's the moral of the story. If they're still breathing, then there's still hope. And it is God's will, the Apostle Peter tells us, that none perish. And everyone that is born, doesn't matter what they believe, what they think, what family they're born into, what nation they're born into, everyone that's born is instantly an image bearer of God. You need to theologically understand that. Now, some of you are confused. Does that mean everyone's going to heaven and everyone's, hell's not real and attorneys? No, no, no. Listen, second birth is when people become sons and daughters of God. When you start to take on the birthrights and all of the eternal beauty that comes with, with being saved and born again, right? Second birth is about sonship and being a daughter of God. But the minute any human being is born from anywhere, any part of the, the, the globe, any nation, any tribe, any, 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 any religious persuasion, they are instantly bearers of the image of God. And as long as they bear our Father's image the way we do, And as long as they have a pulse, they are instantly our neighbor, right? We get that? Which means when there are people, even if you're fundamentally at odds with them, that are in pain, you have an incredible opportunity to serve God in a beautiful way. This is one of the beautifulest acts of worship you can ever give to God is when you run into someone's mess, especially when it's going to cost you something. It's beautiful. It's mercy. That's what we do. First responders treat everyone that's hurting and ask questions later. Second thing is this. First responders 
I hope this blesses a bunch of you, frees a bunch of you up. First responders don't fix people. They stabilize people. There's a big difference. You can ask a police or a firefighter or an EMT when they're on a scene and somebody is really hurt, their ultimate goal isn't long-term treatment. They're not thinking about long-term fixes and treatment plans. Their goal is to mitigate pain, ultimately, and get them to a long-term treatment situation, correct? That's the ultimate goal. They, they're first responders. Their job is assess and then mitigate pain, stabilize them with any other treatment that they have within their capacity while they're getting them to a long-term fix. We aren't called to fix people. Doesn't that free you up? I'm so jacked up. How crazy is it to think that I could fix you? How crazy is it to think that I could fix my wife? And she needs help, man. I'm telling you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's cheap. She's not here, so that's cheap. Like, but, but listen, we get into relationships and we really, we really think we can fix people. Like, we don't say that before we go, but we're like, yeah, he's, that, he, she's incredible. She's got some issues, but we'll take care of those later, right? You can't take care of yourself if you get honest. More or less thinking we can fix it. Listen, the only thing that can fix people is the power of God through the grace of his son, Jesus, and now the gift of the Holy Spirit, Period. The only thing that ultimately, oh, we can clap for that. That's just good truth. I'll clap with you. That's not my truth. I'm just passing along. Listen, we're not called as first responders to fix anyone. Let that free you up. Because some of us are incredibly good at trumpeting truth and extremely horrible at dispensing mercy. Can I stop for a minute and say if Red Rocks Church is a church that is great at trumpeting and declaring truth and completely disproportionately horrible at dispensing mercy, this will not be a place God blesses. Listen, and truth matters. Listen, it's truth that fixes people. It's truth that sets people free, right? Jesus didn't say, you shall know mercy and mercy shall set you free. He said, you shall know the truth, right? And the truth shall set you free. Listen to me. Mercy mitigates pain. Truth fixes it. Our job is first responder. Our medicine is mercy. The greatest tool in our bag is compassion. Our job is to go out there and be such radical responders of mercy and compassion that at some point people become intrigued with your truth. Does that make sense? Think about the, I use this lady all the time as an example because her story is, it tells us so much about the kingdom of God, but the woman caught in adultery What's Jesus' first response? He's teaching us how to be first responders. It's not application, vet, tell me, hey, you got yourself into this trouble, so hope those stones don't kill you, lady. Go ahead, gentlemen, throw them at her. No, protect and serve. Stand in front of her, right? He, he gets the guys that are going to kill her. He's like, hey, gentlemen, he doesn't say this, but, but he knows what they don't know, which is, hey, she deserves the death sentence. I'm going to take it for her. Here, here in a couple years on the cross, I'm going to put her mistakes on my shoulders because that's how radical and good mercy is. And, and so he does some really cool things to get them to walk away and calm them down. The first response of Jesus is always mercy. Do you know what he does after they're long gone? Truth. Why? That's long-term treatment. That's what's ultimately going to make this woman not repeat the patterns that almost got her killed in the first place. But he doesn't do truth. He doesn't, he doesn't start to declare truth to this woman with all those guys around. He defends her publicly, and then he gets with her privately and says, don't do that anymore. That's going to get you killed. And he starts working on long-term treatment. But, but first responders, we don't fix 
but we can stabilize. And I would say this to us as a church, let's stay in our lane. Let's be completely comfortable with the fact that God saves and you don't. Let's be completely comfortable with the fact that God sanctifies and I don't sanctify you. Your spouse doesn't sanctify you. Your kids don't. Well, well, well. Right, though? Like, our our hope is getting people to Jesus to do miraculous work, to fix people. We can stabilize them, and mercy is our medicine. It's, It's the medicine that can mitigate people's pain to ultimately draw them to long-term treatment. And I don't know about you, but I can do that. I don't want to fix anyone. I don't want, I, that's, I, that's too much pressure. You don't either. But what I want to do is I want to be a person that gets them extremely interested in truth because of the mercy that we showed them. That's the type of church I want to be. Last but not least, first responders, and I love this. I saved the best for last. First responders get back more than they give. And I know that's hard to think, but that's the upside down kingdom that we are our trust fund children in. We get back more than we give. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive, right? Remember last week when Eric was, was talking about the Beatitudes and how backwards they are, yet how effective they are? Do you remember one of them he read was this? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown what? Mercy. I say it same way this week. Blessed are the first responders, for to them God will respond first. Mercy is powerful, and, and, and it's powerful because it's a win across the boards. It, it helps mitigate someone's pain, and at the same time, it draws you closer to the heart of God. It draws you into a deeper appreciation for your salvation, which is always a huge win in your heart and in the kingdom. Everyone wins, and I argue as I'm trying to do this better every year that I'm alive, that first responders of mercy and compassion get back more than they give. I want you to hear a first responder story from a girl named Angie who's in our church. Watch this. I was working for a high-end salon in downtown Denver, and I worked there for about six and a half years. I was really stressed out and I wasn't enjoying what I was doing and I prayed so much to God. I'm like, is this really what you want me to do with my life? I feel like you've given me so many tools and gifts that I don't know if I'm exactly doing work for your kingdom this way. Fast forward about four weeks later, I'm walking from my car into the salon and this kid walks up to me and asks if he could use my phone to make a phone call. and. At first, you know, that thought goes through your mind. We're like, no, don't talk to me. Leave me alone. I'm trying to go about my day. But there's something about him that I really wanted to help him out. I said, well, why don't you come into my salon and I'll let you use my phone there. So he followed me in and he made his phone call and he was sitting on a bench and I just, I looked at him from afar and I was like, man, this kid looks like he's been dealt a pretty bad hand in life. And I could feel the Holy Spirit tell me, Angie, you need to go give him a haircut. Like, that's what I'm calling you to do. And so, so I went up to him and I asked him if I could, if I could give him a haircut. And you never know what people's response is gonna be. So I figured he'd be like, no, I don't want your help, I'm fine. But at this point, I hadn't asked my owners, I hadn't asked anyone if it was okay. I was just like, I don't even care if I get fired if I do this because this is something that I know I'm supposed to do for him. And he left. I didn't think he would come back, but like 45 minutes later, he came back asking for me. 
and he, uh, so I washed his hair, shampooed, conditioned, and brought him to my chair, and I just turned him away from the mirror because a lot of people don't like looking at themselves while they're getting their hair cut, so he had his eyes closed the whole time, and he was just like astounded. Just couldn't believe how he looked, how he felt. He was so grateful and humble, and I think once like seeing his reaction and just walking, seeing him get up out of my chair and walk out the door, I could tell that he felt like he had a load lifted off his shoulders. There's just something about the way you think you look and the perception that you give off to other people can give a confidence to someone. When I bought him breakfast, he was sitting at the counter and the girl that works in the coffee shop saw that he was praying and before his meal and she was like, I overheard him. He was saying thank you for you and for coming into his life. And when she told me that, you know, it brought tears to my eyes, but I was like, that kid has no idea what he's doing to mine. To be able to to bless someone that way who you don't know him from Adam like he just came up to you two minutes ago and to have someone radically change your life in a matter of minutes I'll never forget that and I always thank God for bringing him into my life even if it was for an hour an hour and a half he is someone that I'll never forget So Angie was just driving to work, as you heard her say one morning, and got out of her car and had that encounter with that gentleman. And what's so cool is, like that Samaritan in the story, something came over her. Enough of, of the gospel of Jesus was, was in Angie to respond without thinking about her convenience, without thinking about her comfort, definitely her safety. You know, as a woman getting out of her car in the morning and some, some homeless kid comes up to you and says, can I have your phone? Can I use your phone? right? And she ministers to him. And it seems like such a small act. And she, she would look back and go, it was, a, it was a few hours and it, you know, I gave him a free haircut. And you know what she gave him? She gave him dignity, which is priceless. The haircut was free. The dignity, priceless, right? And she gave him some hope. She gave him some peace for a minute, right? And here's what's so cool. When I, when I said that that first responders get more than they give. Do you know what ended up happening because of that little seemingly insignificant and small encounter with Angie and that guy? She ended up quitting her job because they weren't thrilled that she brought him in and gave him a free haircut. This was a higher end salon. She ended up being convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit, quitting her job and starting her own salon so that any time and in any fashion she wanted to do stuff like that, she could do it all she wanted and so could her employees. She had no clue. Isn't that amazing? First responding doesn't take any smarts. It doesn't take any intellect. It just takes courage. It just takes availability. It's that old quote, God's not looking for your ability. He's looking for your what? Your availability. He'll give you the ability. He'll empower you with what you need to do what he wants you to do. He's looking for people that are willing to offer their bodies and their time and their resources at the expense of comfort and convenience as living sacrifices. That's what God wants from us, Red Rocks Church. 
And I said it, I said it earlier, and I'm going to say it one more time because this is so important. May we, by God's grace, never be a church that trumpets truth way better than we disperse mercy. May we do both so beautifully and so aggressively. May we, may we proudly proclaim truth in these four walls and then walk out ready to dispense mercy radically to a earth and to a group of people on planet earth that are starving for truth so that they can be set free. If not us, Red Rocks, who? If not us, who, right? And, and so I'm just gonna ask one question and one, one, one faith response from us this week. And it's simply this. Are you, and, I, and I'm, I'm first hand up, so just know I'm, I'm going first on this. I'm, I'm, I'm admitting that, that, that selfishness is an issue and that I want to be a better first responder. But if you're saying, I want to I wanna re-up on this, or maybe for the first time you're going, this is new to me. I want to be one of those people you talked about, Chad. For a bunch of us, though, you, you, already, you already, I'm not telling you anything new. It's just we re-up on this stuff. It's like we're getting re-qualified to be first responders today. And if that's you at any of our campuses, I'm just going to ask right now, and you don't have to fake it. If you want to stay seated, uh, we appreciate your honesty. If you don't buy it, if you're not believing it, if you're not ready for it, we appreciate your honesty. But at all campuses, if you say, Chad, I'm with you, I, I want to be a first responder. I want to sign up today, or I want to, I want to get new qualifications again. I want, to be people, I want to be a person that runs into people's messes when everybody else is running away. If that's you, would you at all of our campuses right now, would you just stand up? We're going to pray together. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to know that we're going to do this together. Thank you guys. Can we just do this before we worship? And then we'll worship through the conviction and the encouragement and the counsel that we've gotten from God's word. But can we just pray together? And can we yet again ask the presence of the Holy Spirit to, to just change and mold our hearts into the image of Christ so that we can walk out of here and put that image on display to a hurting and a lost world? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless our church and bless our congregations right now, Father God, with the, the courage that comes from the Holy Spirit. And bless our congregation in church right now with the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit to be the most radical dispersers of mercy on planet Earth. God, take us out of our comfort zones, God. God, when our reputation's at risk, when our motives start to get judged, even by people closest to us, may we, Father God, not do what's expedient, but give us the grace and the power to do what's right and trust you to bring justice to us and to the situation. God, I'm asking that our church would be marked by courage, that our church would be marked by mercy, and that to the degree that we declare truth, is equally the degree that we dispense mercy. God, we cannot do that in and of ourselves. So Holy Spirit, would you transform us yet again this weekend? And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. At all of our campuses, let's worship.